0: Hello, I'm Brian.
1: I'm Caroline. I'm Claire.
0: And this is the Computer Weekly
1: Downtime Upload podcast.
0: Welcome back to the podcast and a um, very warm welcome if you're a first time listener. So, you find us um, coming out of hibernation, we could say. Uh, we're recording on Friday, the 3rd of February, um, just ahead of the final episode of Happy Valley. Anyone following that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've been, Caroline um...
0: is a bit. Uh, yeah,
1: I well, because I, there's been such a gap between the second series and the third series, I went back and started rewatching the whole thing. So I've just started more or less um, series three now. But yeah, it, what happens is whenever I watch that programme, though, I start almost like, because she's so badass, the uh, character, Catherine Kaywood. I just find myself kind of like channeling her a bit, like because I've watched too much of it. So like the way she's all uh, sort of trussed up <laughs> in her big sort of bulky police uniform, when I'm going out on my dog walks with them, um, Bruno, i sort of find myself adopting the same kind of posture because like Oh do you? Yeah, I'm not a fan of um other dog walkers really. Uh so yeah, so I just sort of find myself sort of adopting her same sort of no nonsense posture and stature.
0: Is it the beginning (laughs) of the first um season where she kind of does that introduction of herself? Um, I'm Catherine, I'm forty six years old, etc. It's very funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of encapsulation of her character. Are we all glad January is over?
1: Yeah. I didn't even notice so it leaves. It was honest. a
0: very, very cold month.
1: I, I had like a day the well on the thirty first, or I was just like, I can't believe it's still January. I know it's like <laughs> still only the last <laughs> day, but I, was like, I can't believe you're still going on. Just leave. Just go. End it. Nope, like no, please. no. But yeah, but yeah, I'm glad it's gone. Just too cold. No one's got any money. Everything's depressing. Um, yeah. Just good, it's gone.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Up when I
0: speak to you, too, totally brassic, completely skint. But but we're into February now, so maybe a little bit early for first signs of spring. But you know, good times could could be emerging. Um, uh, so we emerge from hibernation into, however, a lot of economic turbulence. There's a lot of gloom and doom around. Um, the IMF said the UK economy was in the toilet this week, and um. Half a million workers on strike, and rightly so, mm-hmm. during the week as well. Uh, and the Bank of England has raised interest rates to 4%. And lots of tech jobs, tech companies being slashed. Um, so it does seem, seems like we are going into quite a kind of gloomy, gloomy time. But I think there, there are going to be some sh- shards of light in this podcast, judging from what I've read, uh, I do hope that's the case.
2: If it's, if it's not bias. we just
0: have to deal with it um, um
2: uh, at this point i would encourage listeners to reach out for mental health <laughs> services if you need to after listening to the podcast if everything sounds gloomy you know uh because that's not a very pretty picture that brian's just painted but don't worry guys it's gonna be okay yeah,
0: yeah. thanks thanks for that thanks for that claire uh, and you're quite right um it's not all doom and gloom as we shall shortly discover uh at least to some extent. So just to say where we're going as usual, um Claire, uh, you're going to be talking about those tech workers and indeed older workers more generally facing difficult times and some of the kind of tactics they're using.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there seems to be a lot of debate between um, you know, on mass tech redundancies versus um the great resignation are these just buzzwords that are being thrown around or is this something that is a genuine concern and what can people be doing about it?
0: Yeah, we're going to be hearing about that very shortly. And Caroline, IT contractors in focus for you in relation to this.
1: As always, they're always front and centre of my mind, the IT contractor community. But um, but yeah, just as you say, with the, uh, against the backdrop of mass tech, tech layoffs and things like that, it's, yeah, just seeing kind of, what does this mean for the IT contractor community? Is just, yeah, yeah, something I look into. So, yeah, just yeah. think
0: about that. A community very close to our hearts. Um, and me, I'm going to talk about shopping, specifically the uh, the data strategy at Very, which is a company that Claire has also spoken to quite recently. So um, I have a bit of a, a natter about about Very. Uh, which is, uh, you know, originally Littlewoods, um, but Claire, can I can I invite you to start us off, please?
2: Absolutely. So, some of the research that's been coming in across January, when talking to employees in the tech sector, has a bit of um, kind of like several varying stances coming in about how what the future of um, sort of like tech work and tech employment looks like.
0: Mm.
2: So for example, CW Jobs was talking to people in the tech sector recently um, and it seems like a lot of tech workers are already looking around for different types of roles and different employment options to avoid the possibility of redundancies in the near future. So I know that um, recently there's been some reports of some pretty high profile tech companies making, you know, like a lot of, I guess, job cuts. So Meta, Twitter, Microsoft, Amazon, all huge names that have been cutting down on tech roles in the thousands um, over, you know, like the last couple of months. Um, Which has obviously got a lot of people concerned about their job security. Um, which is why it makes sense that other people might be looking for different roles to try and bolster themselves against anything that you know, like could be a threat to them and their employment in the future. Especially since um, the cost of living is going up, um, it would probably be a pretty bad thing to lose your job now, let alone at a normal time. The thing is that last year there were quite a lot of reports about quiet quitting and the term the great resignation got thrown around a lot. Um yeah. where it was the employees that were planning to either leave their job, or leave the tech sector completely. So it's it's a bit of a sort of, you know, like, on one hand, and the other hand, w- what is the bigger issue here, you know, it, it's sort of, um, it's, it, if I think about it it's kind of typical really isn't it you know like one minute you've got tech employees going like oh I'm going to leave my job I'm going to find something mm. else and then tech employees are still saying I'm going to leave my job I'm going to find something else but then there seems to be a different reason that they're doing that so is is this actually you know like a a difference you know or are we just seeing the same sort of thing I mean, this is just me speculating, but are we seeing the same sort of figures with people saying, I'm looking for something better. I think I can get more money. I want to, you know, like um, have job security, but then just citing a different reason as to why they're doing that. Um, And for example, if you look at some of those names. Um, again, this is just me going off on one, but Meta, Twitter, Microsoft, Amazon, tech companies. So, if they're going to make any redundancies, you would think that they would be tech redundancies because a majority of the workers in those companies are going to be tech workers. Hmm. Um, so, I don't know if that just skews the figures a little bit. What do you think?
0: It's certainly something that's, uh, you know, the headlines have been on job losses. And the, one of the companies that I cover is SAP. And they they announced um, that this year they're going to do a restructuring, and that will have an impact on 2.5 percent of their employees, which amounts to about 2,700 people. Mm. Uh, so there is a lot of that. There's a lot of that going on. Um, but also, uh, we reported on a, a thing that um, one of the partners from McKinsey said at Davos. She said that the people that she was meeting at Davos, the kind of really big bosses at corporate, so not IT companies, but kind of normal companies and banks and stuff, mm. they're rubbing their hands with glee at the thought of all these all this tech talent that they're now going to have access to, which um, over the last 10 to 15 years they've had less access to. Um, I don't know whether that's unduly optimistic or not. But that is a way of looking at it is is these people move around, you know, you can move from working for a supplier to working for a user organisation, which is computer weekly is our main focus usually anyway. Mm. Um, So there is that. And also clearly in in your piece, you were saying there's, um, there's kind of differences between the old and the young.
2: Yeah, definitely. So it seems like younger people are more likely to be looking for a new role than older people, Mm. which does, you know, it makes sense. I think um, younger people are probably not as financially secure as some older people. So it might make sense that they're trying to make sure that they have a plan B, basically, um, I think was the phrase that was used. So... Yeah, maybe those who are sort of like 55 and over feel more secure in their jobs. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is that earlier in the month, there was another piece of research that said that people that are 55 and over want to improve their digital skills to make sure that they have new career opportunities before they retire. So it seems like it's just a different demographic and they seem to be wanting different things from work, basically. Um, and the the common theme seems to be that for to tackle the skills gap there needs to be this focus on lifelong learning anyway so yeah. um, you're not necessarily gonna go to uni get one set of skills that you're then going to be using for the rest of your career with technology technology adoption that's just not really how how things are going to work in the future anyway so it does seem that you know like the best way to tackle the skills gap to retain tech talent rather than having to pay through the nose for people with those skills already does seem to be to just teach the people that are already in your organization to do the things that you need them to do. Yeah, I don't know if any of that made sense. It was a lot, I think of work, that makes a lot of I sense. I think
0: it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and the whole thing of like retraining
2: uh-huh.
0: and retraining more mature workers I mean, I know Claire that's something that they've been doing at the very group. I'm going to talk about a little bit yeah. later yeah
2: yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah so there is that but I I was quite uh I don't know what quite what the word is charmed or um taken a little bit back about it, the, the idea of embarrassment that uh older workers and I think you also said younger workers are kind of embarrassed for different reasons to ask for uh to have more digital skills training.
2: Yeah, so in the and digital research which focused on you know people fifty five and over wanting those new work skills, younger people do want upskilling opportunities too, but they're embarrassed to ask for it because there's this misconception that younger people should already be digitally savvy because they've grown up in the digital age. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody just assumes that they have those skills. Mm. You almost don't want to turn around and be like, yeah, I don't. Sorry. Yeah. You know um so yeah I can see that being a difficulty for them um whereas older people can sort of get away with saying oh I don't know any of those things can you teach me
0: yeah Is there
1: like from the so older age range then is there anything that's like uh the reason you know they might feel embarrassed is that because of what you're older you've got experience you should know this as well or is it just yeah what's the did did they sort of look into that or explain or sort of expand on that at all Not that I
2: remember, but I do know that, um, for example, if they are tech workers, so you've got like an older generation of tech workers that will be more inclined to know about, you know, like inbuilt systems that have been in companies for a very long time. And when those those systems end up being renewed, they don't necessarily know some of the new programming languages or the new structures that these new systems take on, so they end up Mm. feeling very redundant even though they have a fountain of knowledge about how the company works and the technology in that company works and what everybody in the company needs so they are sort of like an integral part of you know like those changes going forward but they don't necessarily have the skill sets for the technology that's coming into the company so I can imagine there is a level of embarrassment about that. Um, But again, that's just, you know, like what I've heard on the grapevine and different pieces of research and stuff. Um, It wasn't specifically mentioned in this article, but I can imagine that it would be very difficult. Mm.
0: That's really, uh, really is very interesting. And you, because of the kind of technology change as well with the move to the cloud and things like that, the sort of skills that are more and more required of, of these older workers who maybe put those old systems in, suddenly they're having to to deal with maybe a new system from SAP or or a new way of delivering SAP over the cloud, uh, figuring out how to deal with a really complex contract that involves not just SAP but also AWS or Google or Microsoft because it you know SAP specifically is um, it's got this rise with SAP service and it's uh, and in, in a nutshell, it's supposed to be business transformation as a service, but I mean, I won't go into that now, but the, the, the kind of the complex thing is that SAP itself is not supplying the cloud infrastructure for this new way of doing ERP. It's instead partnering with AWS mainly, and also GCP and, and, and Microsoft actually to, to a big extent. But that then generates these really complicated contracts, which last for years, these contracts are like five, six years. And so maybe as a kind of mid 50s IT professional, you might find yourself involved in you've been involved in those kind of conversations before, but they've got a lot more complicated. Mm. Uh, And it's not just your tech skills anymore, it's your Mm. relationship management and legal knowledge, etc, etc. Which potentially puts you in an embarrassing situation if you feel you're not up to speed on that
2: mm. type of thing. Yeah, exactly that. Um, yeah, and it just it it must be difficult mm. for the organisation and the people involved.
1: Mm. It's quite it's quite interesting because also that we've had this week this kind of uh, news about this push by government to get a lot of people who are over 55. Back into the workforce because a lot of people took early retirement um, mm-hmm. on the on the back of the pandemic. I'm t- talking again. I know I'm going to talk about them in a minute anyway. But contractors, a lot of the contractors I spoke to um, took early retirement because of IR35. They didn't want to get involved in like sort of just the just the rigmarole. Of, oh, it's going to come to the private sector. That's going to be like a lot of disruption and annoyance for us. Let's just retire early if we can. So yeah, it's interesting that you know that on the one hand we've got this group of people who've left the work like workforce um and have like really uh pertinent skills that government wants to get them back but then also it's just we've got the over 55 who are still in the workforce just like oh god like i need new skills
2: and it's yeah it's just funny to me for some reason i guess yeah and i guess as well companies need to weigh up which is going to be cheaper retraining older people I guess if a if a person's been in a company for a long time their salary might be quite big is it still Mm. cheaper to retrain them than it would be to get fresh skills but then a lot of younger people don't have the skills to walk straight into a job so you'd be retraining them anyway it's a bit of a coin toss really like what's what's cheaper what's better for Mm. the business what's more important it's a bit um yeah it's complicated isn't it
1: Mm. yeah so it's like you guys, you know, you still got skills. You still matter. We want you back. But, uh, but in the meantime, can you just like, if you're still here, can you get skilled up and actually catch up, please, everybody? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and those those older workers will typically they'll know the the business inside out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's that's super important. Thank you so much for that, Claire. Uh, we've got a natural natural segue, um, then. We've got, you know, tech workers generally to an IT community, a specific community that's close to our hearts that uh, Caroline was beginning to talk about there anyway. So, yeah, um, Caroline, tell us about how contractors are seeing all this economic turmoil and tumult.
1: Yes, so, um, yeah, so if you hadn't guessed after listening to Claire's expert analysis, uh, the tech industry is in a bit of a state of flux right now because of all the economic uncertainty going on in the world so actually just before I got on the podcast I've just written up um, AWS's results and they're basically seeing like you know it's just bad news across the board it's they've got um, enterprises are cutting back on their cloud spend because um, you know everyone's having to tighten their belts and Amazon's feeling the effects of that it just I think it's like slowest or weakest revenue growth in its history or something like that just the previous quarter so yeah so yeah, still doom and gloom, as we said at the top of the podcast. um and yeah, as Claire mentioned, you know, there's been lots of job uh, news stories about job losses at some of the world's biggest tech firms. and as often happens when things big things are going on in the world, it caused me to ponder, what does all this mean for the humble i t contractor? So logically, one would assume that if all these tech firms are cutting talent, the market will be awash with new folks looking for work, which might mean that there's but more competition for jobs and contracts um which is another hassle along with IR35 that contractors don't really need. Um, So really, you know, when will the poor IT contractors catch a break is also another question. Um, So, yeah, so I asked around my contacts to see, like, what impact, if any, like, sort of the news of these layoffs is having in the tech world. Um, And, you know, and also how it might affect the employment opportunities of contractors. And in summary, the general feedback was that the future looks pretty bright for contractors and contracting. Um, when times Yay. are tough, uh, Last some good news. Um, yeah, when times are tough, companies sort of need to be nimble and agile, and relying on contractors to deliver your tech projects, for example, is a great way of doing that. Because speaking frankly, it's a lot easier to hire and fire a contractor than it is a permanent employee. So you know, it's much easier easier to scale up and scale down sort of resource as you need it, really, by using contractors. And yeah, despite the economic doom and gloom, enterprises are, according to my contacts, um, still pushing ahead with their sort of digital transformation projects as well, because they see sort of long term value in sort of investing in tech. So that is good news. I'd say a bit of doom and gloom, but yeah, you know, good things are happening. So, um, but saying that, there were a couple of notes of caution shared by some of my contacts around sort of contractors who were sort of keen to impress on them that they sort of might need to be a bit more flexible um when it comes to sort of pitching for work in terms of like day rates and the length of contracts that they'd be willing to do so yeah from a day rates perspective if companies are sort of tightening their belts they might not be willing or or even able to sort of pay over the odds for sort of contractor talent so you know so contractors are being warned to sort of like you know you might have to negotiate down your day rates because you know it's either the difference might be no job or a job, you know, if you're not you know um in that respect. um and yeah, where contract length is concerned, a few people I interviewed for that piece sort of mentioned that enterprises are treading quite carefully when it comes to sort of long- term planning at the moment, you know that maybe like a year or so ago, you know, if they were setting out a tech strategy, it'd be like, right, this is what we're going to do over the coming year. now it's a bit more well. We'll see where we'll do we'll do this for a couple of months and then we'll see where we are and take stock and carry on like that. So, so yeah what we're hearing is that um so yeah so lengthy kind of it contractor sort of engagements if you want, if you like uh, might not be in the offering at the moment so okay. contractors might sort of have to be over the idea of taking maybe like a two three month contract or even sort of taking on roles that the contract might just be extended on a month by month basis but um but yeah on the whole uh, i think yeah it's good news good news for contractors you know there's yeah, still work out there and as a few people sort of mentioned the the people being laid off in some of these sort of the you know the the big tech firms are people who would have been on really really high salaries and things like that maybe overpaid for the work they do so they're sort of yeah. like it's just a case of that the market might start leveling out a bit and things like that so yeah so no good news
0: and also um just coming back to the skills piece uh, i think well, I, I seem to remember reading in your piece, Caroline, that the contractors are maybe being urged to, you know, they have to invest in their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, base. if you're a yeah.
1: yeah, if you're a staffer, you know, your company might lay on sort of training courses, like like you say, as we talked about earlier. You know, if you're taking on a new IT system, you, the company might will provide the training for you to make sure your skills are kept up to speed. Whereas, yeah, for a contractor it's all on you to make sure that you know the skills you have are in line with what the market's looking for and you have to be a lot more I guess yeah like a self-starter and make sure you're doing everything you can to align your skills with what the market wants.
0: Yeah absolutely Um, and data analytics is one of the skills I think that I I read in your piece. Um, Well thank you so much Caroline. Um... There's, I think we've already touched on it. It is possible that some of these um, people have been laid off from uh, from tech firms, which will also include not just techies, but marketing staff and uh, people like that who are very knowledgeable about digital and tech, but aren't necessarily IT professionals as such. But it's possible that uh, a bunch of them will, will go into IT and user organisations. And one of those could very well be the very group formerly formerly littlewoods um, i quite like this story because of the littlewoods connection because i kind of in a way grew up on littlewoods on the littlewoods catalogue a lot of my uh, toys came from littlewoods and things like that i mean i mean the gist of this is um, is of course paying in instalments but without interest so you could pay for like a Christmas present over a long period of time and uh, things like that. Um, families on a budget is uh, is apparently the kind of the 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 main target market for 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 very as it always has been as always was for for Littlewoods as well. Uh, so I spoke to um, their chief data officer, the first data chief data officer they've ever had, a guy called Steve Pimblett. Um, and he spoke to me about data cataloging and using a data catalog within their data strategy. Uh, so what is a data catalog? I hear you ask. It's a catalog. About data.
1: <laughs> whoa, whoa! my mind is blown right now.
0: This is a technical podcasting uh, of the very highest order.
1: Um.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's software that, that kind of generates an inventory of your data assets and it, it does that using metadata, that is to say, data about about data. And um, Steve, uh, Steve tells the story, he does this at a number of conferences. I suspect he'll stop doing this quite soon because it's becoming a, almost a cliche, but he tells the story about how they kind of sold uh, buying some data cataloging software to the board at Ferry and also in previous roles that he's had, and especially non-executive directors. And uh, the way that they did this was um, to to say to them, remember, in, in the olden days, on a Sunday, you would uh, tape the top 40. And you would do this mm-hmm. Sunday after Sunday, and you would have a whole bunch of cassette tapes, and over time you would have no clue as to what was on these tapes or if you're looking for a particular the example he gives is UB forty. If you're looking for a particular UB forty track, um and and you just wouldn't know, know where it was because all this stuff is on magnetic tape. Uh so not digital in the way that like Spotify is or whatever today. And he said basically, you know, Very had been doing this for years and years, decades. Uh, that's the kind of situation they were in. So if they wanted to go in and delete that particular U b forty track, they would, you know the equivalent equivalent of that they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and that you know resonated with um, board members of a certain age, and uh, that's how they got the the kind of the go ahead to 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 buy into some data catalog technology. Um now, the particular data catalog uh, vendor that they use is called Alation. So it's like elation, but with the letter A rather than the letter E. Um, Alation means, uh, if you're interested, means winged, having wings, a thing that has wings. Um, I was told this by uh, the CEO of, of Alation, Satya and Sanjani once. Uh, by the way, he's got a very good podcast of his own, and Steve, Steve had been on that podcast too. Uh, but anyway, enough, enough about Elation. that's enough advertising for them. Um, he also took me through, I mean, this is, this is all in the piece that um, we're publishing on the website and uh, there'll be a link to it. And obviously the article that goes with the podcast, So he, he, he talks about how he's got a hub and spoke approach to their data strategy from a people point of view. So he's got a a number of kind of centres of excellence for particular aspects of data management, like data governance, which is what Alation is really good for. Um, And then those those kind of central hubs uh, work with the spokes of the business. So the retail, the financial services and uh, the other kind of disciplines of the business. They've got an absolute shit tonne of data. They've got every imaginable system you can think of. They've got Oracle, they've got AWS. uh, They've got a lot of Teradata, info and Teradata, a lot of data and Teradata. And I can't remember all the numbers, but they deliver something like 50 million parcels a year. And they have 2 million million visitors per day. Um, They have a big distribution centre or warehouse in Leicester. Which is very, very kind of robotic and stuff, uh, and yeah. So that's that's the kind of the, the the idea. There was to just have a kind of catalog to reduce the complexity of their data landscape, and in order to enable the business to kind of make better decisions and and things like that. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was an interesting interview, and interesting that he is their first ever chief data officer. And he joined the company in twenty, in 2020, during the pandemic. Um, at the mm-hmm. same time, as their CIO, Matt Grest, mm-hmm. who uh, Claire has interviewed, he also joined around that time. So they've both been doing this, you know, not not that long really, but they've obviously been been very very busy. Yeah,
2: I spoke to Matt about joining the business while everybody was in lockdown um because obviously it must be really hard for new starters to get to know their team and how a company works when um you can't be in the same physical space as everyone um and I know that quite a few companies that we've all spoken to have said about um like when you're a new starter and everything's online who do you ask you sort of feel a little bit embarrassed about reaching out to someone digitally you don't know how to like word it whereas when you're in an office you can just sort of pop your head around your monitor and and be like oh I don't know what I'm doing um so yeah they were talking about creating Matt was talking about creating the company culture that's you know like sort of built for online and how they did their remote onboarding and their, and their talent surges and stuff like that which I thought was really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. That's a really interesting piece, actually. Um, Do uh, do read that, readers. Um, It's a great piece. Uh, Thank you. And I I, I found this one of the things I really liked about the story is it's quite based in the northwest of England, because a lot of tech stuff is in is in London in the southeast. But this is um, so they have, as Claire was saying there, that they're doing a lot hybrid, and they are recruiting people from all over the shop. Uh, well, they do have a, they have that big uh, center in in Leicester, but they also have uh, their main headquarters is in a converted aircraft hangar, uh, quite near is Liverpool. It? Yeah, it's really cool because I was on the call with them, so I could see see the environment a little bit. It's basically the old Liverpool Airport, you know, before they built the what's the new one called John Moore's or is it John Lennon, or whatever it's called, um, the new Liverpool Airport? Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. I was—I've not—I've not interviewed anyone working in an old aircraft hangar before.
2: Anybody not in aviation, anyway?
0: Exactly. But this is—you know—they've got these kind of digital squads. You call them digital squads, um, but it sounds like it's pretty empty a lot of the time, partly because of the whole working from home business there is now Um, and they haven't, I mean they've not decided this or anything but he was saying that you know they might think about maybe using some of that space and you know other companies could use it there'll be lots of people working from home in the kind of Liverpool, Manchester area who maybe you know work for companies that are based in London or in America or whatever and they could come in Mm. to this space and things like that
2: or oh, I wonder if there's an opportunity for some kind of startup incubator type thing. Exactly. Like a retail. I, that would be a really good idea. We should pitch it to them.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we should We should tell them about our idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, we've spoken to a lot of people. We know what we're talking about. This is what you got to do.
1: <laughs> uh, Computer Weekly Consulting is being uh, <laughs> created before my very eyes. Oh,
2: you heard it here first
0: yeah they seem to be having fun and that kind of came across a bit um and i did i did like that you know it's a kind of northwest of northwest of england kind of story and just the whole catalog thing i mean i I, you know i used to love a catalog i'm not sure Mm. if they have physical catalogs anymore it's probably all online i should Mm. think
1: i don't know argos there's quite a big who wasn't there when argos stopped doing theirs that was like oh my god no more argos catalog like so, I, yeah. I don't know. I I sense that maybe, yeah, catalogs are very much a thing of the past. I am aware that there are some
2: catalogs still going, but I don't.
1: Screwfix. That's my fave. Prove it. <laughs> what did you say? Screwfix. Screw That's a great catalog.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: Screwfix. The DIY needs. So yeah, that one definitely exists. But they still have
2: physical presence, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know whether Littlewoods is still like a paper Uh, catalogue. Didn't they have shops as well though? Littlewoods they did have shops. Yeah, yeah. There was one in Harlow. I remember it.
0: Yeah, they opened their first one in Blackpool in nineteen thirty something.
2: Mm. Uh, Back in the day, were you there? Back in the
0: day, I wasn't there. No, but I've been reading about this on. on wikipedia which of course as you know is my main source of knowledge about things um and also interestingly that the whole uh it's a complete by the by but all came out of the football pools originally in the 20s you know that kind of low low level betting that you can do i mean the national lottery has supplanted a lot of that stuff but but because of the football pools they had the agents you know they had people going from door to door and they went from that to catalogues and doing do mail order stuff so you know it's a it's a it's a company with an old history a very complex history and a lot of complex technology as well
2: mm, but it does seem to be like a natural progression for it to become an online shop
0: oh yeah i think it's totally online now very is 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 the is the brand isn't it um, I wonder what will happen to all those catalog models I suppose they can you can model online as well though can you So, well look um, we'll link to both of our pieces about um, me and Claire's about about very in the article that goes with the podcast and Caroline's stuff as well um, and you can. Listen to the podcast uh, on the website, but also on Apple, Google, and Amazon. Who I've seen referred to as the A team.
1: Oh Um, yeah, I saw that in the uh, yeah. I think the Guardian's write up of the all of their financial results today it's like uh, the A team. oh God, guys, don't no, 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 no. Pick you the fool
0: that that
1: calls them the A team. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Good, good uh, callback there.
0: Okay, we won't join in with that. Um, it remains then just for me to say uh, thank you, thank you very much on from 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 my point of view, but also from on behalf of the listener to Caroline. Thank you very much, Caroline. You're welcome. And thank you so much to Claire.
1: Anytime.
0: And thank you to, to you, listener for listening to us. Okay, till next time. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye.